0: If you grab your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number 10. If you're a visitor or you don't have your Bible, we have a Pew Bible there located right in front of you. And if you grab that Pew Bible, that's in page, or on page 716, 716, Hebrews chapter number 10. If you'll join me there, great song. I appreciate that, Brother John. And, uh, and I hope today that your love for your Lord has grown. And when we sing of Him and His power and His goodness to us, and, and I hope your love for His has grown. That's what we come to do is kind of fan the flames of our love for Him. and and uh, you ought to love him more each and every day. And uh, that ought to be our testimony, that song, that I, I love the Lord Jesus. And if we love the Lord Jesus, the Bible says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And uh, we obey him, we obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know what to obey? We study God's word. And really, that's what we're doing here. And so um, we're going to get into it. Obviously, you know, in this series, Rise Up and Build, and the, they say that confession is good for the soul. So I'm going to confess. This isn't the last sermon in the series. We're going to push it on to next week. Okay. So it was either a very long message this morning. You guys stay here till one or split it up in the next. And it works out perfectly. We'll end next week with baby dedication. Okay. So I'll get that confession out of the way. Cause some of you, uh, you know, let me hear the end of it. Never let me hear them. Anyway. So, all right. So that's what we're playing on. But our key verse to this whole series is this, is the idea uh, found in first Thessalonians chapter five and verse number 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. A command. This is a command. If you love the Lord, keep my commandments. And so you obey the command, comfort one another together, edify one another, even as also you do. So this whole point of edification and what we've seen, I don't want to bury us in review, but boy, repetition helps us to be reminded and learning. He's given us tools. He's filled our toolbox, our tool belt to be edifiers in every area of our lives at work, at home, at church, you name it. We are called to edification. And we looked at each one of these tools, whether it be our words, our spiritual gifts, our prayers, our companionship and camaraderie, our exhortation by the word of God, our actions and examples. In all of these things, these are tools for us to build up one another. And as the family of God, in our homes, our children, our marriages, whatever the case may be. And so what we've done now is started applying it to specific areas of our life. And we've looked at the home and we've looked at our marriages. We looked at rearing our children. And we remembered this about our words. We've kind of broken down each of the different tools and how we use them. Our words, obviously one thing is there are no other words that mean as much or hurt as much as those words that come from the one to whom we have committed ourselves to for the rest of our lives. Uh, a spouse's words mean more than anybody's. And uh, so we got to be careful. Are we building up? Are we tearing down what God wants to do? Then last week, we delved into this as we consider the home. We talked about TNT, the idea that you and I as parents are called uh, to do what a couple of these verses say. The first verse, Proverbs 22, 6, was train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The first part of TNT was what? Well, that training that must take place, and crucial to that training is words of edification. Training does not take place unless you're using Using words to build up. In the second verse we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses, verses 6 and 7. And we took away the last part of verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently the words of God that you've already gotten into your own heart. Now you're committing to teaching them diligently until you're thy children. And what do you do? You talk of them. You talk of them in the way, when you stand up, when you rise up, when you're laying down, when you're walking along the way, you talk of them. So we see it as teaching and training. And we said this, parents, you are the source of TNT in your children's lives. You are God's means to blow up sin, to blow things out of the way, to be explosive in their lives so that God can turn around and go to work. He wants to use you as the primary source of edification in the lives of your children. And so how crucial is that our takeaway last week from that was simply this and whatever time and way that you have left whether it's children or grandchildren bring some tnt into their life bring some training and some teaching and it happens through your talk and then as we looked at in first john there we have no greater joy than to find out that our children walk in truth Teaching and training leads to truth as we talk of the truth and they embrace the truth and then we trust they will walk in the truth. Real quickly, we looked at our spiritual gifts and we said, "Okay, how do you use that in the home? Well, first of all, you've got to make sure you use your spiritual gifts at home. One of the greatest sources of hypocrisy and people leaving the church, children, not following mom and dad's footsteps of following after God, is that there's hypocrisy. You're all smiles and ministering to people at church, and yet you go home and it's a completely different. You are nothing what you were at church. And boy, children pick up on that. Spouses pick up on that. So so crucial that we're using our spiritual gifts at home likewise. And then we said our prayers, right? Our prayers are so crucial. Number one, we talk about how God encourages us to pray about things and how they'll play out in our lives and what the future holds. Uh, We looked at Philippians chapter four, be careful for nothing but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And uh, so he wants us to pray. He wants us to bring these things before him. Secondarily, we can move God to action through our prayers. We saw that in Mark chapter 11, verse 24 Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. And then don't forget, we looked at all those qualifications from Scripture that put us in a position to have a powerful prayer life. Things that line up, according to Scriptures, with who we are, how we're living, so that our prayers are powerful, so that they can move God. And uh, we just came to that conclusion. Okay, here's our takeaway last week. The last thing, prepare yourself as a vessel of prayer, and then pray for your Okay, quick review and you want to get more detail, listen to it on the website. Okay, now we want to move in. What's our next one? Uh, It's our provocation, our provocation provoking. And we see it here in Hebrews chapter 10. Notice it again. Verse number 24 is the verse we we first introduced when talking about this tool. Notice it. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. uh, It's a simple command, provoking unto the the love and the good works. And I like to think of this verse as the answer to the prayers we just prayed. In other words, we are the boots on the ground for the prayers that we're asking God. God, work in my spouse's life and grow them and help them to be Christ like. Be with my children, help them to have a love for you and to live for you. And, And guess what? Now I get to be the one who provokes that in them. I get to be the catalyst for their growth. Literally. Being the answer to my own prayer in some ways. So uh, it's the action of making my marriage better by making my spouse better by me provoking them to good things, good works into love. So it starts with what question? Here's the question we got to start with. Okay, husband, wife, how are you provoking your spouse? This past week, and you don't have to share the details, how did you provoke your wife? How did you provoke your husband? Was it under good works or was it under love? Or was it to something else that is not in keeping another way or, or direction? It's the idea of moving the needle, of influencing and impacting, moving our spouse to some action or response. Words are powerful. They influence and they impact your provocation, what you're going to use your words for and even how you act, it'll move somebody to action. So what are we shooting for? Well, think about it. The the scriptures that we say, okay, here's what I'm aiming to do. We're aiming for good works and love to be the response or the outcome of my provoking. So in my interactions, in my deeds and so forth, um, how am I provoking? It's the consequence of my treatment of my spouse. Of that reaction from them. See, we're looking, we're thinking that. Now, now, think about it. Put it this way, okay? If your spouse were to say something to you like this, "You make me so mad," I don't think you're provoking them into love and good works, right? I mean, you make me so mad. You did that again. Listen, if you know that you're you're, your simplest thing, okay? Let's say that husband that your wife has gotten onto you or asked you about putting something away in its proper place. Okay? In that moment, you're about to drop it or put it in its wrong place or, or drop your clothes on the floor, bedroom floor, whatever the case may be. And you think for a moment, hey, what am I provoking you unto? Eh. <laughs> what are you provoking you to? Anger! That's not good works! That's not love! That's not what the Bible said! In the smallest of things, boy, we can provoke, right? We all have little nuances right we all have uh, It could be as simplest as the toothpaste. Do you squeeze it from the bottom or in the middle? <laughs> Little things that provoke. Listen, you and I, if we're dying to self, we're saying, listen, God has put me into the place in my marriage, in my home, in my church, that I am to be a provoker unto good things, good works and love. And I am a tool for edification Then I need to put into practice. Exactly what God says in the smallest of things. We all know things that there things we all know that there are things in our lives things that our spouse may do that provoke us and so forth. Listen, if you're provoking your spouse in a negative way, you're not obedient to this verse. So we need to think about our actions and our words. Am I provoking them unto love and good works? My desire is not that they're huffing and puffing. Uh, it's not that they get angry. It's not that they are, are, are mad and angry about. It. No, uh, good works and love. We would put it this way. So my responsibility then as a husband or as a wife is to look for ways to provoke my spouse to love well, she doesn't like my clothes sitting all around, and I'm going to pick them up. You know what? I don't see the big deal of this and making the bed every morning. I don't see the big deal of, uh, 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 of squeezing the, the toothpaste tube from the bottom. But you know what? I want to provoke love in her, so I'm going to do it. And vice versa. would be for a husband. You can think of a myriad of things. Can I tell you? Listen to me, okay? Let's just be transparent this morning. As a pastor, sometimes those in the pew have, they think you don't see things from up here. Frank can I tell you, I have often wanted one, a camera back here and to show you what I see sometimes. When I talk about provoking and everything, there's a little smile comes across the wife's m- mouth. And she kind of looks over this little day and so forth. And, and he just looks straight ahead. <laughs> and we all have them. We all have little things that we know that, that hey, oh, my husband doesn't like my wife. Doesn't. What does the Bible say? Die to self, provoke unto love and good works. Provoke provoke. We know how to provoke. We do. So provoke unto love and to go and look for those ways to do so. May I just kind of say it this way. Do something this week that moves them to love. Love for you. Love for God. Love for others. Send them a note of encouragement about how good God is. When's the last time you sent your wife or your husband a text message and just say, hey, yeah, I am so glad we serve a great God. Just encourage them to love God. Hey, our God has been so good through us through thick and thin. I am so thankful He is sovereign and He's in control no matter what happens. When's the last time you did that? You wrote a little note. You said something. Encouraging them to love God. You write a list of praises for what God has done in your lives together. Praise God and their presence to encourage them to love God. Be the one who just provokes in them love for others. Don't be bad-mouthing people in front of them all the time, tearing down others. No, provoke them to love others. Provoke them to love God. We not only want to look for ways to provoke our spouse to love, but also look for ways to provoke our spouse to good works. Ask them what they learned in their devotions, their Bible reading today. Share with them what you learned. Talk of the service and the message on the way home and Sunday school lesson. Talk about it. Lead in reaching out to another family or person to show kindness or love. Provoke them to good works. Encourage them in how they are doing as a parent. Encourage them about things that need to improve as parents. Lead in training and teaching the children. Just find a way to move your spouse to a good work this week. Serving, loving, doing. Uh, Just encourage you. We are called to do just this. It's literally picking up the tool and say, okay, I can do that. I can provoke. We all know how to provoke. There are things that I know when when Erica and I are jesting and having fun and like to tease and so forth. If you know me, I like to tease and everything else. Hey, there are things that I know that I can say immediately to get a rise out of Erica. She just laughed a lot. <laughs> it's true. I know what to say. I know what to do. I know where to poke at her say something because I can get it. I know it. Hey, we all know those things about our spouses, don't we? She she can do some things to me. She knows it. Hey, listen. We know how to provoke Now we gotta make sure that we are, we are provoking unto love and good works. That we say, okay, in this marriage, I wanna be a provoker. Not unto anger, not unto, to meanness, to unkindness, to bitterness, to resentment. No, I don't wanna provoke unto that. I wanna provoke unto love and good works. So, so crucial. Now, uh, children teenagers here, can I challenge you, you are called to be an edifier in the home just as much as mom and dad are through your provoking. It is very easy, children, for brothers and sisters to provoke brothers and sisters to get them worked up, to get them angry, to get them mad. You ought not to do that. Even as a young person, a fifth grader, sixth grader, a teenager, a college age, you ought to provoke your brothers and sisters into love and good works. As a young person, you ought to do that. You, I, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ obviously had siblings. And if any lived in the house while he did, he provoked them into good works and love. We ought to do the same. We ought to follow in his example. We ought to say, hey, even as a child, a young person, I can provoke my brother. Listen, hey, I grew up one of two sons. We lived in. The, we were always in the same room. Never had our separate rooms, except maybe one little short time. I, I understand that. There's sibling rivalry. There's all kinds of things. But can I tell you what does God wants you to do? Provoke your brothers and sister into love and good works. Encourage them. Edify them. Build them up. Some of you older ones, you're the oldest in your family. It's your responsibility to set the example. It's your responsibility. So edify build up, provoke unto love and good works. You know what Also, I find? And we don't have time this morning to delve into it, but I find it's very crucial. And dads, listen up. I find it crucial and interesting that the Bible specifically instructs you about what? Not provoking our children into wrath. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think it's crucial I'm planning on a message to, uh, to preach about that in times to come. But suffice it to say, there needs to be a commitment by every parent to provoke your child into love, good works, and as this verse says, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As you provoke unto love and good works, you're provoking them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a purposeful decision and commitment, not not provoking them to anger. Hey, there's a lot of parents whose parroting style provokes their children to anger. If you haul off and hit your child out of anger, guess what you've just provoked in your child? Anger. When you don't handle discipline and chastening correctly biblically, what's going to happen is you're provoking in them resentment and anger and hate sometimes. Hey, we've all seen it. I have seen it tremendously in the ministry. So that's why this verse is written. Don't provoke them to anger. You do your part. You edify and provoke them into love and good works. And I'll tell you, my friend, you'll fulfill this verse of bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them in a negative way that would not be Christ-like for their lives. Enough said. We can say much more. Hey, the next tool, I love this one. Notice that it's our companionship and camaraderie. Now, when you listen carefully, husbands and wives, when you just listen up, I, I don't get to say a lot. We don't talk much much about it. But I want you to understand this. Husbands, your wife needs a life's companion, a best friend. Wives, your husband needs a best friend. He needs his biggest cheerleader to be his number one companion in life. And I believe Ephesians chapter 5 makes that extremely clear. Now I know the reality. Spouses don't always express their need or that they want that. Uh, they don't they don't always even come across that they embracing you being their best friend and everything. But can I tell you, that is exactly what marriage is. Now listen to me, young people. Marriage is the number one friendship on earth. That is God's design. It is His plan. The number one friendship. There must be a camaraderie within marriage that mirrors and even exceeds that which God pictures being present in the local church. Hey, we're the family of God. We have good friendships here uh, among fellow believers. That's what God designed. That He wants companionship and camaraderie in the family of God. But there is a friendship that is to be greater and go deeper than that. And that's a spouse's friendship, a marriage friendship. We might say it this way, a spouse's best friendship must be found in marriage. Now listen to me and listen to me carefully. Today, there is a huge push. There is many influences where you're, uh, yeah, there's kind of this thought that, oh, you're married, but you have best friends outside of it. No, no, no. Your best friend is your marriage partner, your spouse. We might put it this way, and I, I want you to dwell on this. When it is God's will for one to marry, It means that God never intended you to walk through either the valleys or the mountaintops alone. Now, don't we serve a great God? And listen to me. Yeah, we'll always have God and God's there. Praise the Lord. He is. But my friend, when God directs and he guides, and it is his will for you to get married. It means that his will is that you never go through a valley. You never go through a mountaintop alone. He never intended you to face the difficulties and challenges of life alone. You say, know, hey, pastor, I'm just not sure about that. That's not how marriage is defined now, uh, today. Well, let me share a few verses with you. Genesis chapter two and verse 20 says this, and Adam gave names to all the the, cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. Now let's dwell on it for a moment. I draw your attentions to those two words, "help meet." We often combine this into a "help meet," and I think that's appropriate, and I think it's a good term. But in doing so, we can obscure some of the meaning to this passage, literally to the, the words uh, expressed to us here. What meaning is obscured? Well, the simple fact that the woman was given by God to man to help him, to perfect him. And God says, notice it, the word is meat for him. The meaning of the Hebrew word translated as meat is that they are right there before me. It literally means the Hebrew word is means they're right in front of your face or they're parallel to you. We would describe it this way. They are a constant companion, a help, a constant companion that is meat for him. They are perfect. They are the completer. They are the one that God designed to meet a need that nothing else could meet. Did you catch it? Why was God looking for that? Notice it, verse 18, two verses ahead. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be, what's the next word? Alone. He needs a companion. He needs a comrade in arms. He needs someone to go through life with him. And what did verse 20 say? Oh, wait a minute. He looked all through the animals. You mean man's best friend, the dog, is not good enough? Amen. And certainly not that ugly cat. No way. It ain't there. What does man need? man needs a woman now you listen to me you listen to me carefully it is sad that over time the sin or the corruption that has been brought by sin has even messed up what marriage is marriage is a friendship that goes deep in a wife we looked at the verse he that finds a good wife findeth a good thing why? because God had a wondrous plan here friend you and I as men, we have needs. Now, unless there is the gift of singleness, which Paul speaks of, you and I have needs that can only be met the one by a woman. The woman was a completer. She's the one that filled in the missing things. She meets the needs that the man has that nothing else on earth can meet. It is ludicrous for a man in marriage to say, hey, I'd be better off if I didn't have this old ball and chain. Wrong. That is not God's plan. In fact, God says what? You are much better off with this gift. What a confused and terrible world we live in when such an attitude stays and is embraced by folks. And God has given you a wonderful gift. This camaraderie, this companionship that is supposed to last until death do us part. What is God saying? Constant companion. You, you, husband, you need your wife and there needs to be a companionship like nothing else. Uh, Vern and Debbie, 64 years, is that correct? Just a couple weeks ago, right? 64 years. 64 years married. Isn't that amazing? 64 Hey, listen, you know what's, what's cool about that? They have been through much. They've been through much in the last few years. They've been here at Fosteria Baptist Church with health issues and things like this. God never intended Brother Vern or Miss Connie to go through anything they faced alone. Same way with Mark and Paula, same way with uh, Marvin and Debbie, every couple, God never intends you to go through life alone. He said, listen, hey, man, woman, oh, perfect combination, companionship and camaraderie all along the way. Man, our God is so good, isn't he? His plan is perfect. And yet you and I have to work the plan. Trust the plan and work the plan. Do exactly what, the, and that requires companionship. It requires that you and I are, are, are building that camaraderie one with another. You know what's sad to say today? Now listen to me, that there are married people who aren't best friends. That's sad to say. There are married people who find a camaraderie they should be enjoying in their marriage. You know where they find it at sometimes? At work. It scares me when I walk into a workplace and I see a married person having a greater friendship with someone there than they do at home. It worries me. It's a concern. Because that's not what God intended and that will lead to trouble. They not only find it at work, and sometimes they, they'll they find it in sports. They'll find it with hunting buddies. They'll find it on, modernly speaking, they'll find it on social media with those who subscribe to their page or, or exchange messages or whatever. They might find it in a support group or, or something or another. Hey, it's good to have friends. It's good to have connections and people that you can lean on. But they should never, ever replace your spouse in God's appointed place of friendship and camaraderie. They should never replace it. And how we get into trouble. So here's my challenge to you. I, I am, yay, Here's God's challenge to you and I who are married this morning. Young people with plans to get married, boy, mark it down. Learn how to build a great marriage from the get-go. Here's what you do. Number one, you do this. You renew and rebuild your marriage friendship today. Okay, seems simple enough, but you renew it and, and, and rebuild it. Now, how does that start? What, what does that building process look like? Well, first of all, this is crucial. If you have a, a place of work that you're going to build something, what you do is you clean off all the rubble. Now, some of us have rubble in our marriages because we failed to be the friend. We failed to be the companion that God would ordain us to be. So there might be someone here this morning that needs to start by asking forgiveness of both the Lord and your spouse. So what I need to ask for forgiveness for? When you haven't been a companion, a friendship. What's a friend there for? Well, you stick close to them. You are there. And maybe you've had them or, or allowed them to walk through a valley alone emotionally. Maybe spiritually. Maybe even physically through difficult times. You withdrew your friendship because you were hurt or you were offended. We see it in a microcosm. You, you, you ever give your spouse the cold shoulder? You don't have to answer that, okay. You just, you know, they, they bother you somehow. They did something that didn't please you. And you're like, hmm. and, and, and you may not, not speak, but your syllables have been reduced to like one. Yes. No. Yes. Are you hungry? Yes. What do you want for supper? I don't know. Whoa. Is it chilly in here? <laughs> did someone turn on the air? Hey, we understand what that's like. And, and boy, the cold. listen to me, listen to me. You can do that, and they could be going through a difficult time. And guess what? You've just you've just left a friend in a lurch. Don't let that happen. Bible says, "Listen, you you are a companion. You guys are comrades together. Don't let little things separate that or affect that." So there may be some who need to start by simply apologize. Listen, I'm sorry. The other day, I and I. I let the flesh get the better of me, and I I let that thing bother me. And I, I treated you wrong. I'm sorry, and then I ask the Lord for forgiveness. Decide today to rebuild that friendship. And in that, we know what it takes, right? See, some of us here, you have gone a few years and, and, and you and a friend from before, you got separated, you've gone different directions. Then You found them on Facebook or you found them on social media and you begin to rebuild that friendship and connect again and you start building it. Hey, we know what it takes, so do it now in your marriage. A wife and a husband, renew and rebuild that friendship. May we put it in context of the the series, rise up and build again. Get that friendship going again. Reconnect with your spouse in a way that builds your friendship relationship. You say, Pastor, okay, I get that. How do you do Well, talk more. Talk more. Date more. Go out on dates. Do things together. Don't go, you do your thing. She does her thing, and you guys never spend time together. Build the friendship. You say, well, I don't like that. Act like you like it. Go do it. Spend time together. Because what happens? You and I both know friendships don't last if you don't spend time together. They aren't built. They're stagnant. They don't go forward. And a marriage is intended to continue to grow every year you're together. So build it. A date night doesn't have to be an expensive restaurant. It can be where you lock the door and send the kids in the basement. Spend some time together. Get to know one another again. Get, get, build that friendship relationship. That's what God. Now, now, hang on to that thought for a moment. It, 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 well, actually, let me back up. You know what'd it be okay to do? It'd be okay on the way home. On the way home, listen to me. I, hey, hey, husband. Wife, listen to me. It'd be okay. It's okay on the way home after this message, after this morning service, for one of you to look at the other and you say this. You know, we really need to work on our friendship relationship. It, you know, we we need we need to do some things together. We need to spend some time together. Maybe it's at the end of the night, and and we need to just circle a time that we're we're going to make sure we're done with everything else, and we just come together and spend some time to build our friendship. It'd be okay to do that. In fact, it would be good to do that. And husband, don't you look at your wife after she says that and say, ah, we're fine. Wife, don't you say it either. If he says it, boy, follow that lead and say, yes, yeah, let's do that. That'd be great. Let's build this. You know, even maybe better than that, maybe in a few moments in an invitation, you come together to this altar and you say, let's pray about this. Lord, help us to renew and rebuild that friendship. Help us just to recapture. Hey, can I tell you? You guys remember And Eric and I were just on that yesterday a little bit. And hey, you remember when? You, you remember your honeymoon? You remember the days leading up to it? And even during the honeymoon, man, you don't want to be separated. You know, you know, you don't want to get away at all. I mean, you were just, you know, you're like leeches, you know, eyes, and you were just, I mean, it was you, all about that. Hey, let, let's renew that. Let's get that back a little bit or a lot. Let's build the marriage that God intended. Why? You know what I found out? You, you know what I realized and even studying here and, and have been reminded of? Boy, Stephen Henry is a miserable person without Erica. He is! Oh, come on, come on. You should be bigger than that. No, it's not bigger than that. It's God's plan. She's a help meet for me. And so I tell you, I don't want to think about going through life without her. Now, if God were to take her or take her, listen, God would give the other one grace. Get it. Some of you have lost dear loved ones, a husband or wife. I get it. And I am so thankful for a God of grace. And the day that you look forward to seeing them again. But I'll tell you right now, God never intended me until the day he calls one of us home for us to walk through something alone. I sure am thankful for camaraderie and companionship. But I tell you, I can, work, I can mess it up. If I give Erica the cold shoulder, if I don't treat her like the treasure she is to me, like the wife that God has called me to love, to treat right like Christ treats the church, I can mess that all up. So let's get back to the kind of friendship that God has ordained. Now hang on to that thought, parents. Let me say one other thing. When it comes to this idea of companionship and camaraderie, I think there's something that needs to be said concerning children. There's a great mistake among parents today to try to be your child's best friend too early. Uh, Attempting to insert the camaraderie and companionship too quickly into that relationship. See, uh, the time will come when that type of relationship is the end result of the biblical training and teaching that we've already discussed, that TNT. But to try to manufacture it too early, to try to placate and withhold discipline and chastening as the means of being your child's best friend, it's going to prove to be disastrous. In fact, the end result of that path is often strained relationships. And even in some cases, it drives your children away. Now, I want you to get a hold of this truth, especially our young parents among us. The fact is this. The day will come when your child will treat you as their close friend and their greatest confidant. But that will only be reached through your faithfulness to God's plan for parenting. See, again there's a modern mentality to, to to raising children that boy i just want to be their best friend and we just to, we want to hang out together and i want them to love me and all that i mean I, granted you want them to love you but my friend you are not to be their best friend you're to be mom and dad you're you're called to chasing discipline, like we talked about last week you're called to tnt teaching and training so be careful don't try to insert it too quickly. And hey, if you follow God's plan, the end will come. I don't know, Pastor, I, I, if I'm too hard, if we have too many rules, if we do too many, uh, too much discipline and chastening, I, I, I may lose my child. I'll tell you this. If you try to be your child's best friend their whole life, you will lose your child. You will lose them. They will see you nothing more than somebody, another person who they can use to get something. Listen to me, and I love J. Vernon McGee's quote on this. Because sometimes you and I think we have a better plan than God, don't we? (laughs) This is what J. Vernon McGee says. I think it's true. This is God's universe, and he does things his way. Now, you may have a better way of doing things, but then you don't have a universe. I like that. Trust God's plan. Trust him. Work that plan. Trust his plan for edification, for parenting, for your marriage, and you'll find that his way truly is the best way. So what are you going to do this morning? Where are you going to find yourself obedient today in the days coming? What part of God's word this morning that you and I have studied that God has pricked our hearts and we need to say, OK, I, I need to pray about that. I need to make a decision this morning. I, I need to do better in my marriage or as a parent or just as a person, as a child of God, in the family of God. I need to do better. Where is it that God has put his finger on in your life? And in this invitation to follow, could I encourage you to get it settled? Let's you and I do business with him right now.